Well, again, welcome, man, whether you're with us online or if you're here in the room, we're just so thankful that you are here with us in church today. I'm Pastor Larry, and I am just thrilled to have you joining us in church today. We're in week four of our study of the book of Ephesians, and we're calling this study Apocalypse. And most of us in the modern world, English-speaking world, think of that word as being about like a big bloody war or about the end of the world or something like that, but that's our view of the word apocalypse, and that's not at all what Paul meant when he used that word. When he used this Greek word, apocalypsis, he meant an uncovering of something that was hidden. He meant a a revelation of something that was previously unknown. He meant an illumination of something that was previously unseeable. And if you read through Ephesians, you'll be surprised at how much those apocalyptic words show up. So for the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the different revelations, some of the different apocalypses uh, of Paul and this letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the apocalypse of the unity that we have when we are in Christ. And then last week, we talked about how those of us that are in Christ were predestined since before time began to have the amazing blessings and the adoption of God. And then this week, Um, Since Christmas is right around the corner, and we're looking to Paul to give us an apocalypse about gifts, and specifically about the best gift, the gift of God's grace. In fact, in Ephesians, when Paul uses the word gift, or when he uses the word grace, it's actually the same Greek word. It's the word, say it with me. (laughs) It's the word charis. Let me hear you say charis. Yeah, charis is a Greek word. It's actually a homonym, and it actually means both. It means gift, and it also means grace, and that's not weird. I mean, we have homonyms in English, right? We know that a vampire bat and a baseball bat are two different things, right? One word, two meanings. That's not weird. That's why the right to bear arms is a completely different thing than the right to arm bears. Right? These are, these are homonyms. They same word, but they mean different things. And charis, really an important word in the Bible and in our faith, and a very important word to Paul. It's a homonym, and it means both gift and grace. And I'm going to tell you on this one, I need an apocalypse because this idea of the free gift of grace has been like, confusing for me. And I think for a lot of Christians, for the last like 2,000 years ago, it's, it's, it's kind of confusing because in the Bible, and Paul specifically says that we're saved just by the gift of God's grace and not by like being good or doing right or following rules says our, our behavior and our, our, the good stuff that we, our good works, our good deeds don't save us. Salvation is a gift from God's grace, period. And that's, I mean, this is what, look what Paul says. This is Ephesians 2.8. He says, God saved you by his grace, charis. God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation, I I don't know how much more clear he can be than this. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. 
So there's nothing for us to brag about. So our, relation with, our relationship with God has nothing to do with our behaviors. It has nothing to do, apparently, with keeping rules or doing good deeds or doing good works. You can't like earn your salvation. You can't work for your salvation because it is only about the grace of this gift. But Paul also gives us these lists of all this acceptable behaviors and unacceptable behaviors. And he's like, well, if you're gonna be a Christian, you gotta do this, and you gotta do this, and you gotta do this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. You just got through saying that it's 100% about God's gift of grace, and it's nothing to do with our behaviors. But then in Philippians, he tells us that we should each work out our own salvation. Well, what is that? Because he told us it has nothing to do with the work that we do. It has nothing to do with the good deeds that we do. And he also talks all the time about how Jesus is someday gonna judge all of our behaviors and all of our deeds and all of our thoughts and all of our actions. Plus, Paul is constantly like bragging about all the good stuff that he's done for Jesus, isn't he? You've read this thing, right? Oh, I'm in prison again. Oh, I'm traveling all over. Oh, I'm preaching all over. I'm starting these churches everywhere. Oh, I'm in jail for Jesus, but I never complain. And I just am curious if good deeds and good behaviors can't save us or do anything for us, if our behaviors and keeping rules and doing things right can't save us, why does he talk about it all the time? Why is he constantly telling us how to act if it doesn't matter how we act? And so it seems like, like out of one side of his mouth, he's saying, look, our behaviors don't matter, man. It is all this free gift. You guys are gonna be the grace side, okay? It's this free gift of grace. So don't worry about behaviors. Don't judge other people. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shame. Don't worry all the time. It's nothing to do with your behaviors. It's all about the gift of grace. But for you guys, <laughs> there are rules to be kept, man. There are things that you must do. There are behaviors that you must avoid. So it's, to me, it's a little confusing. Are we just saved by the gift of God's grace, charis? Or does God like expect certain behaviors, good deeds? Are we supposed to keep the rules? And I think even Paul seems kind of confused about it, and I like it when Paul's confused, because it makes me feel better about myself. Um, look at the, I want you to read, read this verse with me, and I want you to see what I'm saying. He's like, oh, it's all about grace, but all the good works matter, but works don't matter, but it's all about grace. He's back and forth, he's back and forth. Look at this, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, whatever I am now, not only what I do, who I am now. He says, it is all because God poured out his special favor. Guess what word that is? Charis. He spent, God spelled out his special favor on me. So what's he saying? It's all about grace, man. It doesn't matter what work I've done. It doesn't matter what stuff I've accomplished. My work means nothing. It's all about charis, baby. It's all about the grace of God. So he says, whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his grace on me and not without results, because I've worked harder than any of the other apostles. <laughs> Not that it matters, because my work doesn't matter. It's all about grace, and that's all that counts. But seriously, I have worked my butt off. Not that it matters. My work is nothing. It's all about the grace of God. But I really have worked a lot harder than those other guys. It's like he's, he's like, make up your mind, right? It, 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 which is it? Are we saved by charis, 
the free gift of God's grace, and that's it? Or does God expect something from us in this deal? And I think this is not just a question to kick around and argue, this is really important, because if God does expect something from us, and it's not just he gives it to us and that's the end of it, then what happens when people say that they've asked Jesus to be their savior, but they don't have the good deeds, or they're not keeping the rules, or they don't have the good behaviors? What if they, they said, okay, I'm gonna get, they raised their hand in church, or they got baptized, or they walked down, or whatever they did, but they're not doing the good behaviors, and they're not living like they're supposed to look, then that's really dangerous, right? because maybe they think they're saved, and they're not. And then on the other hand, what if it is 100% grace? What if it just is the free gift of grace and that's it? Then some people may be feeling guilty and shameful and afraid of God for no reason. And they may be like comparing their works to other people. Oh, I'm not as good as that one. Oh, I'm not as good as that. Or that one's not as good as me, right? Maybe they're judging other people and it really doesn't even matter because it doesn't matter what they do because they're only saved by grace. So I think, I think it's an important thing and I think it's a hard thing. And the apocalypse that I've had on this, honestly, lately, all starts with what we said in week one of this series. And that's where we talked about the fact that this book, of Ephesians, we have, to, we have to read it for what it is, right? It's a letter that was written from Paul to this church at Ephesus. It's for us, but it wasn't written to us. It's for us, but it wasn't written to us, and we are literally reading someone else's mail. So if we're gonna get max value out of that, we gotta think about what was going on in Ephesus? What was going on with those people that the letter was written to? And what was going on in the head of the person that the letter was written from, right? What did, what did, what did Paul mean when he wrote? Not, not what it means to me or how it fits into my world or my vision of life or my, what's going on in my culture. What did it mean to him? What did he mean for it to say? If we, if we really wanna know what this book is trying to say to us, if we really want an apocalypse from this, a revelation from God about this, we can't look at Paul and the Ephesians through the lens of our world. If we really want an apocalypse, if we really wanna understand, if we really want revelation, we can't look at Paul and the Ephesians through the lens of our world. We have to look at our world through the lens of Paul and the Ephesians. So just let's, let's sit on that for just a second. We can't, we can't look at them through our lens of how our life works and how we see things and how our world is. We have to try to look at our world from what he was trying, it's a letter he wrote, right? We need to try to understand what he, what, what, what was he trying to say, right? What did he mean for these words to, to reveal? And so this apocalypse, for me, starts with this one word. It starts with charis. And not, not what I think it means, or how it fits into my life, or how it fits into my understanding, but what did Paul mean when he used this word? Charis, for grace, for a gift. And I think this, it starts with just kind of understanding like how Paul 
and how the Ephesians saw gifts. Because, you know, we're Americans and really Texans, which is we're just Americans only more so, right? It's like we th- <laughs> not you guys, but like the second service, they think the whole world revolves around America and what's going on in our world, what's going on in our little county, in our little community and all that good stuff. But throughout history, different cultures have seen and valued gifts differently. So let's try to step back a little bit and just say, in our, in our culture, in our modern Western culture, I would say in Comal County in 2021, we see the highest, best kind of gifts of all the gifts that there are that people could do for you or give to you. The best gifts are the gifts that come with no strings attached. You agree with that? Like they don't want anything back. I'm just, I just love you, man. I'm just giving you this gift. I'm doing this thing for you. I'm offering this thing to you. And it's, I don't want anything back. The highest, best gift to an American in 2021 is a gift, brace yourself for this word, with no expectation of reciprocity. That's a big word for me, right? Reciprocity. And the best, highest gift in our world, in our culture, in our view, in our time, we think the best gifts mean, I, I'm just giving it to you because I love you. I don't want anything back. You don't have to reciprocate, right? I'm not asking for anything back from you. I, I just like you and, and I don't want anything back. So in our culture, we value gifts the highest when they come with no strings attached. In America, I'm gonna keep saying it so people start doing this, I'm just telling you now. In America in 2021, a gift is only a real gift if it comes with no expectation of reciprocity. But Paul and the Ephesians didn't live in America in 2021, and they have a completely different view of gifts. And in their world, and truthfully, in pretty much every other time and culture but ours, gifts do come with an expectation of reciprocity. If, 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 if I give you a gift, I I expect something back. And this is really important. In those cultures, that doesn't make it less of a gift. It doesn't make it less of a gift. If I give you something and I expect something in return, in fact, it makes it more meaningful. Because it's not just, I'm a nice guy and so I'm gonna give this thing to you. Instead, it's, I, I want this gift to mean more than that, right? I want this gift to be the beginning of something. I want this gift to establish a relationship with you. I want this thing to connect us, right? I want this, this gift that I'm giving you to, I want us to bond over this thing, and I want us to kind, kind of be obligated to each other. I want us to kind of have a relationship, right? I want us to kind of owe each other some stuff. And it, it, it symbolizes a relationship, and in a real relationship, there's always give, and take, right? Think about a marriage. What kind of marriage would you have if one person did all the giving and the other person did all the taking? That's not, that's not a relationship. And in most cultures, in most cultures, a gift is saying, look, this relationship means a lot to me, man. I really want this to happen. So you know what I'll do? I'll go first. I'll give you a gift. This is me inviting you into a relationship. And if th- that's what I want. I want, I'm saying, I'm, I'll go first. 
I want this relationship, so I'm gonna give you this gift. And if a relationship is what you want, then show me something in return. Um, you know who explained this phenomenon really well? A famous theologian a couple of years ago, George Strait. You know him? <laughs> so he loved this girl named Amy Lou Hayes. And he gave her a gift. And it was a note telling her how he felt. And if she felt the same way, he asked her to reciprocate. So he said, do you love me? Right? Do you want to be my friend? Remember that? I think this is how love goes. Check yes or no. Everybody knows that song, right? Do you, do you remember those notes? What was that, what was happening? I'm writing this note and I'm saying, this is what I want. I want a relationship. And if that's what you want, <laughs> reciprocate, right? You, you write me a note. It's like, I'll go first. I'll, I'll make the big step. I'll take the hard step. I'll give the first gift. I'm saying I want a relationship with you. And if that's what you want, check yes. And for almost every culture in history, except for ours, a gift means I'm inviting you into this relationship and you check yes by reciprocating. You check yes by giving a gift to me. And that is how virtually the whole world sees gifts. And that's why Americans, when we go on mission trips and we go to the Far East, or we go to South America, or we go to Africa, or the Pacific Islands, what do they always tell you when you go on these trips? Do not accept gifts from those people. That, you've been on mission trips? That's what they always say. Do not accept gifts from those people. Do you know why? Because if you don't give them something back, if you don't reciprocate, then that's like a rejection to them. Because that's how it works. I give you a gift, I want to start a relationship. If you want the same thing, then you give me one. That's how it works. This is why when you see like the president or the vice president or whatever and they go to another country and they're sitting down with these foreign leaders and all that stuff, then there's a camera's flashing and they're shaking hands and they're all making nice and all that stuff. Then what does that foreign leader always do? They give him a gift, right? Oh, here's a box of cigars or something, right? And what does then the president, he turns to his aide and they hand him a gift and they give him a plate or some stupid thing, right? <laughs> you, know, you won't believe this. Do you know that the United States Department of State in Washington, D.C. even has a special department that's called the Protocol Gift Unit? That's legit, man. The only, and the only function of those people is to keep track of gifts. Some king gave us this, what did we give them? Some prince gave us that, what did we give them back? Look it up, it's a real thing. And you know why? Because our government loves wasting money. No, that's not why, that's not why. Ah, uh, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> you people, man. <laughs> so predictable. That's not why. Yeah, it might be why, that's not why. That's not why. The reason we have that department is because that in pretty much every culture, in pretty much every time in history, 
including the time and culture of Paul and the Ephesians, gifts come with an expectation of reciprocity, and, and that doesn't diminish them as gifts. In fact, it actually defines them as really more than just a gift. It's I'm, I'm, I wanna begin a real relationship with you. So for me, this like apocalypse about, are we just saved by grace? Are we supposed to do other stuff? This apocalypse starts for me with seeing not what I think of that word, right? What Paul thought, what Paul pictured, what he was thinking. When Paul said that was God was giving us charis, God was giving us this free gift of grace, in Paul's mind, the, the wonder, the glory, the amazingness of that gift is not at all diminished by the idea that God expected something in return. In fact, it's enhanced because Paul saw this gift as not just some cool thing that God offered us. He saw this as God giving us an invitation into a relationship. So in Paul's world, and in Paul's thinking when he wrote this letter, although salvation is a free gift, he goes first, right? A free, you didn't deserve it. A free gift of God's grace. We, we do have a part to play, and there is an expectation of reciprocity from his grace just because he loves you, just because of his grace and who he is, God goes first. And he gives us this free gift of salvation to invite us into a relationship. And the way that we accept the invitation is not just by saying words, and it's not just by raising your hand, and it's not just by walking to the front of a church. It's, it's, it's by the gifts that we give him. It's by our good deeds, it's by our right behaviors, it's what Paul loved to call them, our good works. That's, that's the gift that we return to God. That's, that's how we check yes. And all through Ephesians, and all through Romans, and all through everything Paul wrote, there, he seems really focused on this huge um, gap, gap between the gift that God gave us and what we have to offer him in return. He's really focused a lot on that gap, that differential, right, between this amazing gift that God's given us and these little piddly gifts that we have to offer them. But if you think about the gift that he gave us, it's hard to reciprocate for that, right? Look what it says in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift, can you guess what word that is? But the free gift of God is eternal life. That's pretty good, right? Through Jesus Christ. So it's a relationship with him. So God's charis, God's gift is up for us. Is, it's a good gift, man. It's, it's, it's forgiveness and freedom and mercy and acceptance and, and power and, and, and eternal life. And that, that is a really, really good gift. And you can't pay him back. But if you were going to pay him back, what would you give him? I mean, what would you pay with? Does everybody here have a relative at Christmas that it's like, there's nothing I can give them, right? I, they have everything. What, what, what can I, what, what can you give God, right, to reciprocate for the gift of eternal life? A tie? A sweater? <laughs> Xbox? What do you, you know, what, what do you have to offer him that's anywhere near as awesome as the gift that he's given you. So what, whatever you give God, 
there's gonna be a mismatch, right? There's gonna be a gap. There's gonna be a different, you're not gonna be able to give him as a gift as awesome as the gift that he gives you. And some scholars call this mismatch incongruity. Let me hear you say that one, incongruity. That's a good, you wanna impress your friends with some theological jargon, man. Incongruity is awesome. Throw in chorus, you're in. There, you're so smart. Um, here's how I learned about incongruity. Um, so, I don't know, 100 years ago, this is like 1980, uh, and Margaret and I were just married, and we had a, a, a couple friend, um, Rick and Shelley, and um, they were like us. They were, you know, broke and, and just married, and, and we're trying to figure out, how are we gonna buy a house? How are we gonna have kids? How are we gonna pay for all this? We don't make any money, what are we gonna do? And Rick had an older sister, and his older sister had married a guy that had a really great job and was making a lot of money, plus she was making a lot of money. So his sister and her husband were making a ton of money, and here's Rick and Shelley, they're not making anything, and now it's Christmas. So they gotta try to figure out a gift to get to them. And so they bought them an ashtray. Okay, so this is a sociology and history lesson for young people. Back in the day, people used to smoke cigarettes. Okay, and you would even smoke cigarettes in houses. I know, right? People would even smoke cigarettes in somebody else's house. What, right? And all the young people are going, what is he talking about? In fact, it was like, uh, cultural nicety, if at your house you had some ashtrays sitting around that people could thump their ashes in or they could grind their cigarette out in and a nice glass decorative ashtray was probably, I don't know, 10 bucks, right? Okay, and then they, they gave that gift to his sister and her husband and his sister and her husband gave them a VCR. Okay, another history lesson and social, right? <laughs> Young people, back in the day, um, when people wanted to watch a movie, there was only like two channels and one of them didn't work, and so if you wanted to watch a movie, there was no Netflix. <laughs> I know, right? Before the sun almost. There was no Netflix. <laughs> Listen, there was no streaming. You can't believe this. If you wanted to watch a movie and you actually wanted to choose the movie that you watched, you had to go to a store and you had to rent a cartridge about this big, a, like, and it was a tape, and it was, it was a, a, a video cassette recording of that movie, and you had to have a machine to play them on, and that machine was called a VCR, video cassette recorder. So, man, you, you come to CBCB to learn, right? <laughs> now you've learned about history, social, it's just awesome. A good VCR in those days was probably like, $400, they were super expensive when they first came out. So, Rick and Shelley got his sister a $10 ashtray, and to reciprocate, his sister got them a $400 VCR. And that's everything you need to know about incongruity, <laughs> right? No matter how you cut it up, one gift is just a lot better. And there's nothing they could do about it, man. They just, there's nothing they could do about it. So they gave, and I'm sure they were nice and acted like they liked it or whatever. The hard thing about the gift that we wanna give God is that he's, you know, 
God. So, you know, he doesn't need anything. And plus, they never have his size. So, if, if God gives me the gift of Jesus and forgiveness and acceptance and freedom and power and eternal life, what do I have to offer him in return? My whole life. Yeah. Is that enough? No. But it's all I have to offer. In Romans 11, Paul's talking about this, about this amazing thing that God has done for us, this incredible gift, this amazing chorus. Out of his grace, he's given us this gift just because he wants to. He went first and gave us this amazing gift. And in Romans 12:1, he says, so, like in response to all that, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. And this word for bodies, it means like your, like your whole life, like your whole self, like everything. You give your everything. So here's what he's saying. So brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your whole self to God because of all he's done for you. Let it be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So your gift that you're gonna reciprocate with is your life. Um, in the Old Testament, um, God would do, you've read the stories, right, all these amazing things God would do for them and he would save them from these incredibly overwhelming battles and he would, remember they were in the desert and they didn't have any water so he said, oh, speak to the rock and water came out of there. Oh, I wish we had some food. Okay, here's some food. Oh, I wish we had some meat. Okay, here's some quail. I wish we could defeat this enemy. Okay, they're defeated. I wish the Red Sea would open up. Okay, it opened up. I wish the walls of Jericho would fall down. Okay, there you go. And when that would happen, they, they, they wanted to do something. God's done this amazing thing for them, right? They wanted to do something and when the walls fell and when the seas parted and when the food appeared, their response was, they would, they would reciprocate by building an altar to make a sacrifice. They were like, golly, God's done this amazing thing for us. What can we get him? How about a burnt bull, right? And that sounds, that sounds stupid, but I mean, if a doctor saves your life, you might invite him over for a barbecue, right? And that doesn't pay him back, but you can't pay him back, right? And so what God would do these incredible things to rescue them from slavery and give them freedom and to take them away from certain death and instead give them life, they would like, wow, thanks, God, you know, freedom, life. It's just what I wanted. And we got you a burnt bull. Obviously, that's nothing, nothing compared to the gift that he gave them, but what else would they do? They gave all they had. So here's a couple of questions. Is our salvation 100% by charis, the free gift of grace of God? Yeah, yeah. And that gift is his invitation into a relationship. Is there an expectation of reciprocation? Is there something we need to do in return to accept that gift? Yeah. And for me, the apocalypse that I think Paul wants us to have 
is that doesn't diminish the gift. It defines it. It enhances it. Because we show it. it's not just showing me that God is nice. What it's showing me is something way bigger than that. It's showing me that God wants a relationship. And the way we live our lives and the way we, you know, try to please him and, you know, keep his commandments and follow Jesus, that, that's the gift that we give him to accept the invitation. So when we read these verses about ways we should act and things we should do and rules we should keep, those behaviors are our gift to God. Those behaviors, that's us laying down our life, right? That's us giving God a sacrifice. But we don't do those things to earn our salvation. He went first, right? We don't, we don't do those things so God will love us. We do those things because he loves us. We're not, we're not giving him these gifts and keeping these rules and following these commandments and doing these things to gain his charis, to gain his grace. We do them in response to his grace and to his, he, he went first. He gave the better gift. He gave a, the first gift. He gave an extravagant gift. He gave a gift we didn't deserve. He gave a gift that we could never really reciprocate. So we do all we can to reciprocate. reciprocate. We lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. But again, it's not to earn God's grace. It's in response to God's grace. And so what does that look like with skin on it, right? What does that look like on Wednesday? <laughs> That's great on Sunday morning when we're all thinking and our Bibles are open, right? What, what, is, what does it really look like? Is that back to 600 laws and the Old Testament Jewish stuff? Is that all about now we can't cut our hair certain ways and we have to eat certain foods and keep every single, remember all these millions of commandments? No, because by his grace, Jesus gave us a much simpler commandment. And this is in John 13, 34. Jesus said, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Don't get sick of the Greek, okay? Just one more thing. New. It's a new commandment. It's not a bunch of new commandments. It's singular. A new commandment. And this word new is the word kainos. It means new. But it doesn't mean new just as opposed to being old. It means like, um, like new and improved, right? It means like, I'm, I'm not just giving you a new thing, I'm giving you a thing that's better than that old thing. I'm giving you a thing that supersedes that old thing. I'm giving you a thing that replaces that. It, this, I'm, this new commandment covers all the old commandments. This new commandment supersedes. It's better than. It's the new and improved. It's, it's better. It's a new commandment. So he says, look, there's a lot of commandment, man. Let's just start over. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So in his charis, in his grace, God offers us the first gift, right? This amazing, incredible, free, undeserved gift of his salvation and his love. And our response, the way we check yes 
right? Our response to accept that offer is that we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, not by keeping a million laws, but just by sharing his love with the people around us. So is that enough? No. But it's all we have to give. Let's pray. Father, so many things for us to be thankful for. But it all begins with your charis. It all begins, begins with your grace and your, just your, your love for us that we, we never deserved, that we can never repay you for. Thank you, God, that you went first and you gave us this incredible free gift of salvation. And God, I just pray that you'll just help us to see what Paul saw, and that is that that grace is, that, that it's not less of a gift because you expect something in return. It's actually more of a gift because it wasn't just a freebie. It was actually you giving us something to begin a relationship. And God, I just pray that you will just show us how to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice to you, that you will show us ways that we can love each other and thereby honor you and keep your commandment. God, let us see that keeping your commandment is the way that we say yes to this incredible invitation into a relationship with you. The way that we live our lives is the way that we check yes and say that's what we want to. So God, show us how to live that out. And God, we can't do it in our own strength, so we're gonna ask you to empower us to live that life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, next week our apocalypse is kind of scary. Um, it's going to be about mysterious powers that surround us, and not all of them are nice. Um, but um, we have the power to overcome them because we are in Christ, and that power that we have is actually another aspect of the same amazing word, charis. So God bless you, and we will see you next week.